The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. This is Shaken and Stirred. We're back again. Tom, how are you, my friend, my co-host? I'm very well. Since we last spoke, I've had the corona. I know. How have you been? How have you, how have you been feeling? I know it was pretty rough for most people, but you were okay. It really wasn't rough at all. It was extremely straightforward, and I didn't go to bed, and I was up and about. And really, I've got to say, apart from the fact that I had a coronavirus test, and only because, probably breaking the law saying this, but anyway, only because my sister got it, and she had been into the house for literally five minutes. This is how contagious this thing is. I thought I'd go and have a, a thing anyway, and, and it came up positive, and I was like, well, that's crazy. I feel completely fine. Anyway, I spent the next four days feeling basically completely fine, very slight headache occasionally from time to time. But the real, the, the reason I actually knew that it wasn't a false positive was because for four, well, let's say five days, I genuinely and categorically did not feel like having an alcoholic drink. Well, clear, clearly you were very sick. That's the only way I knew I was sick. Anyway, apart from that, so that was fine. We came through that and I was very lucky and I was very lucky. And, and do you know something? It's just one of those things because it's so indiscriminate. My poor brother, who was on on a podcast recently, who is so fit, he's a thousand times fitter than me, and, you know, he hasn't had a drink 15 years, hasn't smoked for 15 years. He was in bed for 10 days, and he is really not still not right. I mean, you know, it's it's maybe just, I don't know, I don't know, it's indiscriminate, this thing. Anyway, but thanks for asking. I'm now fine. I'm back, you know, no change, really. Well, so clearly then the answer is, in fact, that if you are yourself 100% proof, then um, basically the, you know, the, the corona can't get you. So there you have it, folks. I think if you smoke, you, let, you kind of line your lungs with a sort of fine layer of tar, which the little virus can't bugger the enzymes up or whatever it does. Yeah, somehow I'm sure that's not quite the case. But anyway, look, I'm very, very glad that you're feeling better. How are you? That you are okay. I'm, I'm oh, me, oh, me, oh, asking me. Apart from the fact that you're you're now doing adverts, for, you're balding and you're doing hair regenerative adverts on. Hey, on darling, you know that's why I'm having a life on radio and podcasts is the way to go. And you've now no, shaved your head, so you've got less hair than I've ever seen you with. You look like a sort of. I'm not going to say what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> well, first, before we say what each other look at, like, what are you drinking, Tom? Well, tonight I'm drinking. I'm, there's going to be more on this drink in the future. So I'm just going to give you a little... A friend of mine lives down the road. It's his birthday tonight. Now, as you know, in the UK, it's 10 o'clock at night here. And I got a message at about 7 o'clock from this friend of mine saying, would I like to come and have a socially distance swing by? See, again, I'm breaking the law here because I don't think you're right. Anyway, he's in my bubble, right? Let's just say he's in the bubble. Anyway, and I'm not... And maybe I won't mention his name. <laughs> anyway, it's a friend of mine down the road who got a friend of his to press his pears and he came up with a very private collection of, well, a, a, bit, a very private keg, basically, or cask of schnapps, Poire Williams schnapps from his own pairs. And he, this guy used to be a member of a band in the 90s. I'm not gonna tell, I, I, we're we're going to get him on this podcast and then we'll talk about this properly. But anyway, this stuff, I feel that since I've had coronavirus, I thought, well, it's like they're saying mouthwash is very good to keep the virus out, you know, away. This is basically very, very, it's not mouthwash, it's delicious. It's mouthwash. <laughs> no, no, no. But I tell you, it's talking about 100% proof. I'm sitting here now, I can tell you, it's Poir Williams, it's his private sh- Britannia at school that should give it away. Wow. Fabulous. 
as I said, a 90s rock star. I'm going to cover his name up, but that's the bottle, Britannia. And you can't see the small print, but I can, if I look, it's 65.3% proof. So hence, for once, my glass is half empty. Well, there you go. And I, my friend, I've decided to make myself something rather interesting. It's a cranberry pomegranate margarita, no less. I used the, uh, the old, my, one of my old Casamigos, one of my old favorite tequilas, the Resposado, which I, I just got a new bottle of. Uh, and it's funny, it's hard to get it these days. For some reason, there is a, a lack of Resposado Casamigos in the US at the moment, which is, I, I don't know whether everyone has just been going gangbusters on tequila during the quarantine, but it, it, you know, one way or the other, you can't buy any of it. So a friend of mine recently came by and he had five bottles with him that he had sort of gathered together from various places, which he gave me uh, several bottles. It's got some rather wonderful pomegranate and cactus pear, freshly squeezed. So you're drinking pear as well? And I know, cactus pear, though, so it's like prickly pear, right? It's a little different, and it's red in colour, freshly squeezed by some people called Fresh Victor, which I just discovered out in California, and they, they, they send it over to you in ice containers and what have you. Really, really, really delicious. Some Cointreau, all shaken, and then topped up with a cranberry raspberry spindrift to give it some sparkle. So here we go. Cheers, my friend. Absolutely Cheers. delicious. It's the most eco, unenvironmentally unfriendly drink I've ever heard. I know, it comes from all over the world. It has all kinds of illegal fruits and vegetables and tastes delicious. Mm. Can we do something again? Sorry, you're drinking a pear-based drink. I'm drinking my friends. But can we just study the expressions on our faces when we have our respective drinks? Because it, <laughs> I, I normally don't change colour or I'm speechless after a drink. But You are actually now the colour of my drink. You've gone completely red. Jesus Christ. The great news is, by the next time you come and stay with me, Nigel, I'll still have this somewhere else in the thing because there's no way I can drink this at one go. I can't even talk. Jesus. I, I actually think this might be the drunkest the snapper has ever been whilst, whilst actually doing the podcast. But it's not stopping him from talking, even though he can hardly breathe. I can't. It's stopping. It is doing something terrible to my. Oh, to do just about everything. But let's do some booze news, shall we? Little booze news, little booze news action. A rather funny kind of booze news. You know, obviously Thanksgiving um, is coming up in the US. We've got Christmas holidays. We've got all kinds of festivities that would normal, normally require people visiting their family and what have you. And as we know, people are not really meant to be. So it's rather interesting what Cuervo, Jose Cuervo have decided to do is actually create a contest where you take a photograph of yourself with uh, the, the, the tequila in hand, you send it in, and certain people are going to win life-size blow-ups of themselves to send to family members as stand-ins uh, during parties and Thanksgiving. So you can be there virtually, but you can actually be there as a cardboard cutout. How about that, Tom? A big cardboard cutout of me just standing by your piano. You wouldn't just have to have a headshot. I could literally be there with you. I literally just was looking around thinking, well, I think I might have thrown that photograph of you at work. I can't see it anymore. Huh? Oh, sorry, yeah, so maybe send a cut out. Maybe it's time for change. Right, I think it probably is. It probably is absolutely... And, and this is another interesting little story here. Hendrix Gin, as we all know, which is a, a fabulous gin, has uh, decided just in time of the holidays, the gin company has released its new Hendrix High Wheel. Now, it, this is all about fitness and drinking and, and the combination of... And Hendrix has done something rather funny. They've decided to create... You know those penny farthing bicycles, the one with the massive wheel? They've created 
You have one. I have one. That is even funny. That is ridiculous, in fact. You, who the hell has a penny farthing bicycle, for God's sake? I do. You're like Mr. Bean. Anyway, so they've decided to, well, maybe they should have, maybe they, you know what? This could be the perfect story. We could go to Hendrix and say that the snapper actually has one. I actually do, and they're very, and they're great fun to ride. And, I, and my father, it's my, it was my father's, and he used to ride around the woods at home. And he's given it to, gave it to me years ago, and I've written, and I write, I have written it. The problem is I'm on a hill. He he was rather more sort of gentle. He was on a flat. I I, I live on a kind of, my farm is on a hill, so penny farthings are not the easiest things on a slope. They, penny they, farthing they need... is a bicycle basically with a gigantic front wheel and a very small back wheel. Yeah, and no brakes. And well, no brakes. Well, you sort of brake with the pedals, but that with because of the size of the wheel, if you start getting a bit of momentum, you just have to jump off it. <laughs> and it's quite well, a long way down. Hendrix have decided to create an exercise bikes bicycle using a penny farthing. Um, and they're saying, in, in our view, modern exercise devices are demanding and intrusive, seeking to know your heart rate um, and then sharing your fitness level with others. The Scottish Gin Makers Ambassador of the US said in a statement, we take a more laissez-faire approach, choose a good novel, stimulate your mind, and pedal away at your leisure. It's really hilarious. They have literally created for a joke, I think more than anything, these giant penny-farthing bicycles that you jump on, have a drink, read a book, and sort of pedal in your house on a massive bicycle. So, hey, you know what? You can see that despite everything, some people in the alcohol space are still deciding to have fun and have the holiday spirit nonetheless. Now, we have rather interesting guest today who is going to teach us a thing or two about probably how to eat healthier, drink healthier, and uh, behave ourselves, Tom. So you and I have a lot to learn. You're already shaking your head. I love I it. I switched it off. I remember it was a switch off now. <laughs> it's called shaken and stirred, not shaken and slurred. Okay, Sorry. our guest... <laughs> Our guest today is international chef, best-selling author, TV host, global brand ambassador with his own restaurant in New York City called Charlie Street. He's on a mission to change the world through food. And he is a mate of our good friend, Jeremy Jauncey. Welcome, Dan Churchill. Dan, how are you, mate? Roger, my friend. Lovely introduction. Thank you so much. And cheers to you for this wonderful Friday afternoon. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, cheers, cheers. Appreciate your work, mate. So what, what are you drinking, Dan? What have you made yourself? So I'll be honest, I don't drink a lot, but when I do drink, I love my red wine. You ask for a cocktail, and the cocktail I usually go for is a Mezcal Paloma. Love grapefruit, love the natural effects of grapefruit, and just Mezcal uh, has always been something, once I've come to America and learned more about it, it's got such a great story, and it tastes wicked. I love it. So is that, when you pick a drink then, you said, and I get it, you don't drink much, and that's not unusual for people who are, certainly into fitness and into health and all the rest of it. And I got a lot of my buddies who are on two fences when it comes to that. I've got hey, my friends who are like- Jauncey to... Right, <laughs> exactly. Jauncey Jeremy drink. did have a drink. Jauncey had a drink with us. What? Yes, Jeremy and Tom both had drinks. But the funny thing is they had their drinks, but they hardly touched them. They were for show. Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, the Jauncey brothers are all show. They're showboaters. I mean, look, <laughs> let's just expose them now, shall we? And by the way, guys, Dan Churchill is the one who exposed you. He decided to bring it up. So you think you're mates, but really you're not. Anyway, let's enough about the Jauncey brothers. We, we, we know they're beautiful and gorgeous and fantastic and showboaters. Um, but as far as you're concerned, I'm very con interested in is there such a thing as a healthy cocktail? I mean, is there? Because people love to say tequila is low fat or low sugar or whatever. Tell us. 
Okay, well, Nigel, I think firstly, first and foremost, love the fact that I'm on a podcast with my British family because we can give what's called banter. Love it. First point. Second point, look, when it comes to health, there's so many different aspects of health. So the initial perspective of health is the body fat percentage and how you look on a cover of a magazine. It's nothing to do with how you feel internally and how your internal systems work. And so if you looked at everything I mean, that's that goes my on, idea of health, by the way. That's, right. that's well, literally, it's about how good I look on the cover of a magazine. That's which is totally basically. fine because you're looking fantastic. Skin routine must be doing well. We love Zoom calls. I think what's most important, we miss out on, we talk about chocolate, we talk about burgers, we talk about pizza. When we are eating, I actually just talked about this on my podcast. It is so important to take note of the, the emotional state of when you're eating. If you are eating in an emotional state, which is happy, it's going to have a better effect on your digestive tract. Now, if you are conversely sad, your hormones are not going to be as primed to digest the food. But taking away from digestion for a second, if you're drinking a cocktail, you're in a very happy mood. So you're actually releasing all these serotonin, all these endorphins, all these amazing benefits for you outside of the body fat and everything like that. I'm not saying drink cocktails and, co uh, and, and alcohol all the time. All I'm saying is it's important to no, not neglect. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I'm here to say it's important to have the balance because if you don't, you're going to neglect those hormones that you rely on for your happy, happy state. So, okay. yes. I, I love this. You know why? One of the reasons why is, and I think you and I both share this, but I wear a whoop, right? I'm a whoop wearer, right? I like to, I like to get whooped once in a while, uh, but that's <laughs> a separate thing. However, Whoop told me, you know, through their app and what have you. Well, 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 okay, well, let me just what tell is, you what a Whoop is then, Tom. Yeah, I was going to say, tell me what it is. It's a device that sort of measures your heart rate, your heart rate variable, your resting heart rate. Your, it tells you how well you slept, how long you slept for. It breaks down your sleep into your dream sleep, into your deep sleep and your lights. All kinds of crap that you never knew that you, that you needed to know until they tell you it. And then all of a sudden you can't live without it, which is very frustrating because it sort of also sort of says you know if you drink that certain things can be low and you won't recover or how well have you recovered the next day and therefore how well prepared are you for your day strain right well my point is here Dan is that I was told by all my friends and everything else that alcohol would affect my recovery right so I stopped drinking right and my recovery was terrible. I, I stopped drinking and I recovered like almost one day. In fact, Dan, I had a 1%, one, maybe a record, 1% recovery. Ooh. I was just, I was almost dead. And I had I no idea what you're talking about. Is this like what recovery from having sex, doing exercise, driving mm -hmm. a car? Bloody good question, Tom. I have no Bloody fucking idea question. what you're talking about. Literally. And by the way, there are other people out there listening to this podcast, right? I did understand what Dan was talking about, about eating and actually checking out your personally checking out your emotional state when it comes to looking at the fucking thing on your wrist and checking that I, I have no idea what you're talking about let me let me interject here let me interject here so to make it simple a whoop device is a quantitative way for you to understand your recovery simply put it takes on all this data that we see takes on how you perform the previous day how you sleep and that's obviously determined by what is known as your heart rate variability, which we don't have to go to in detail. But all you need to know is the purpose of a WHOOP is to help truly understand your recovery state and therefore how you... Okay, well, sorry, but on a serious note, what are you recovering from? Great point. So throughout the day, you have expenditure. So strain, if you will, in more of the layman term of uh, what WHOOP you. And so how it works is that 
you will do everything from the way you walk around to your workouts to even standing still. It will take into account your heart rate variability as a key contributor to how your strain is, along with many other things. But what that will then do is to say, hey, you have a strain of, say, 18.5 for this day. You require X amount of recovery to ensure that you are, you are the next day performing at your best. Or it could say the next day you actually didn't recover as well. Don't take it too, uh, don't go too hard on your exercise or anything you are doing today. It also is important for like things such as making key decisions or if you're, you know, you've got a big meeting. It essentially lets you know how well you have recovered from your previous day. And it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. So you may say after a big workout, shit, I've actually not recovered efficiently. I'm not going to work out as, as hard today. Otherwise, it's going to do negative effects on my overall physiological improvement. But what, you know, what Nigel's talking about is even though everyone says alcohol is bad for recovery, when he had no alcohol, it was worse. And I love this. Worse. I love this because there are people I know who are in the same boat. They don't have drastic amounts, but my friend has done a study where he will have a beer for one beer a night and it has a consistent, better heart rate variability score and overall, therefore, recovery score every day. I'm one of those people. I discovered it. I don't have to drink a lot, but if I have a couple of glasses of wine and I, I had stopped drinking, right? I actually stopped drinking during the week and my recovery was shattered. It was like terrible. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I, so I started having a drink, one or two cocktails or when well, I say one or two, like a cocktail and a glass of wine with dinner, maybe two glasses of wine with dinner, who's counting? Anyway, the point is, is that the next day, my recovery was in the green, which means it was in the 70s plus. I even had an 89%, one of the highest recoveries ever after a couple of tequilas. And I'm like, you know what? I think the, everybody's a little different. Dang, everyone's different, right? Can I say at this point as well that if I stop drinking as recovery's fucked, right? Nothing's happening. It's, you know. So then he decides to start having a drink, a couple of drinks with dinner, right? So there's a direct correspondence here as well, which, which listeners probably won't know what you won't know, to the fact that he's had a couple of drinks, so suddenly his wife also is like, shit, okay, there's, this is a more interesting guy to have dinner with. He's had a couple of drinks. He's, like, he's actually been quite amusing now, whereas when he stopped last week, Jesus Christ. So, you know, this, you, know you go to bed, you just like turn away from each other. And, you know, I, I would imagine the whole thing of having a couple of drinks at, at dinner and the whole recovery was probably, there's a bit more to it than just having a drink, right? Are you talking about the, it leads to sex, Tom? No, no, not, not with Nigel. Ah. The idea of, Jesus Christ, the idea of picturing <laughs> Nigel doing that is something I don't, I don't want to go there, Dan. No, I wasn't. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Thank you. I, I wasn't, and, I re, and I'm not, but not, no thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> I think the great point that Nigel made, and this is something that I, it is at a granular level, so listeners, take into account, we're having some fun here, but this is some serious chat. It is important to note that we are all individual. So whilst Nigel is one of those fortunate, lovely individuals who has a couple of drinks and has a higher heart, uh, heart rate variability. You can call me a superhero if you like. I'm fine with that. Well, Nigel, you know I cannot do that just yet. I only know you for the past 20 minutes and, not, and also the amount of time I've had you on Instagram. So, you know, let's just start time out for a second. Uh, I will right. say from face value, you are somewhat lordlike. I'll put it like that. But... <laughs> I'll take that. You heard that, didn't you, Tom? Oh, boy. Lord. Lord. I love the Aussies. Uh, we call Tom, Jauncey calls someone a lord sometime, and I'm just like, that's, that's, we call people weapons in Australia. We go, you're a weapon. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty good. So, anyway, point is that it's important. In, in, England, in England, we call people tools, but that's yeah, completely <laughs> Exactly. That's me, mate. You're all good. 
<laughs> well, thank you. Look, everyone who's listening to this, I introduced you for God's sakes as a chef, in, the international chef. And here mm. he is spouting on all this incredible knowledge about exercise. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? You have a master's in what is it? Exercise science. When on earth did you decide to become a chef? What was the shift of like, because obviously you're, you know, you are on the center app, which is that great app that Chris Helmsworth came out with. And, you know, you're really into fitness. Anyone who follows you and everyone should follow Dan on Instagram, Dan Churchill. He's got, but it's really, you look at it and you, you, you realize just how healthy and fit you are. You're basically incredibly ripped and buff. What was it that was like, okay, I'm not going to go necessarily into a life of fitness, but I'm going to go into becoming a chef and then combine fitness into it. How did that happen? Yeah, so mate, look, I finished school. I like, firstly, I'd always been cooking with my family. We love watching Jamie Oliver in Australia. We loved all that. And I, that was a really cool moment, like cooking for my family, right? And so when I was younger, that was like, I guess a hobby. But then as I left school, I didn't think I wanted to be a chef because I didn't want to be one of those individuals who was ultimately for, you know, 10 odd years of my life, 15 years, peeling broad beans because at that time that's what I thought a chef was you know 80 hours a week which is not creative I'm a creative I went to school uh, I went to University of Technology Sydney did an undergraduate degree in exercise science then I went to uh, did my postgraduate degree and did a master's in exercise science in strength and conditioning because I loved human performance I love talking about human performance as you probably learn and after doing that and working with uh, respective codes of rugby rugby league AFL in Australia I learned that that was still quite primitive when it comes to understanding how to apply the nutrition side to performance. And it wasn't the nutrition information. It was the fact that nutritionists struggled to relate to athletes. And I was someone who brought up in the athlete world with my friends, but also what I'd been studying. I'd been teaching them how to do Olympic lifts and all this stuff. And so because I knew the food side, I knew exactly what the uh, nutritionist was talking about because I'd apply it to uh, everything we do and I'd cook. I was able to help them understand that. And so from there, I started cooking meals, creating recipes for these athletes. And it just grew from me creating recipes for these meals to then going to do content for them, to creating recipes in general for them to use at home. And then that grew for you know books and TV, moved to America. And now I'm a performance chef for the likes of, I guess, Under Armour. I get to work with Sensor and the team with Chris and have a restaurant and, and still be still be involved in the food side, but also heavily involved in the performance side as I continue to work with athletes uh, and, and individuals who are just looking to better themselves and how food plays a massive role in that is we've learned in 2020, people applied so much more information to their health, whether it be sleep, whether it be just truly understanding who they are and their breath work. But ultimately, they've been having time to cook. It's been really awesome, mate. I've loved it. It's been really awesome. I just heard you say something I've never even really heard before. You, you described yourself as a performance chef. Yeah. Did, Tom, did you hear that? A performance chef. I did. Now, yeah. I've heard of a chef that performs, but a performance <laughs> chef, now, this is taking it to a whole new level. Wait a second. What, is, what kind of description is that? Is that something Under Armour created for you? You are yeah, a yeah, performance we, chef. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, I love, I love this. Like, I love being on podcasts with, uh, you know, Britain and, and all our friends from Australia and New Zealand too, because you pick up on those details and... They don't go by the way. So it's in America, it's direct. It's like, oh, that's cool. You guys like pick it apart. I love it because it's real. And then you like my, you like my brothers. You know, I love it. So truly, yes, Under Armour came up with it. It's a way, it's a way of people understanding, not, I guess, not elevating, but just truly putting me into an understanding of what I do. So I don't always cook in a restaurant. I do work with individuals and my job is to help them perform better. So I find ways to take nutritional information and all this high level information from studies and research and give it to them every day. That's my job. 
I just think, first of all, congratulations for having a, 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 a endorsement deal with Under Armour whilst being a <laughs> chef, for God's sake. I mean, yeah, you know, you've got The Rock out there who's sort of sporting it, and then there's there's you, the, the chef. I'm like, well, for God's sake, they need a fashion photographer or someone. How about me? I mean, I, I could Under Armour. But look at me, for God's sakes. I, I can do. I can. I can be there. Uh, so you. Like, like, you look like The Rock's. Yesterday, sorry, I know you always wanted. You know, you think the I'm, rock I'm more like the the pebble than the rock. I get it. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> you know. Do you want an ironic ironic note about the pebble here, Nigel? So you know, in classic fashion, my uh, just like the Jauncey brothers, I am the middle of three brothers who also give me a lot of banter. My older brother calls me pebbles. Oh, so not that, that as a might rock, be because of your rather delightful hairstyle, and, ah, um, and you know, which reminds me of the character Pebbles from what is it, the the Flintstones? I think oh. you are the little baby girl from Flintstones who has the little curly locks. That is oh, where I'll, your brother I'll, I'll may not that. have told you that, but oh, that I'll is take it. That. No, he calls me because he thinks I'm, uh, you know, you've got rocks, as you said, and you're a pebble. He calls me, uh, he thinks I crumble a lot, so he calls me pebbles. Yeah, I would, have looked, take, I would have looked I'll... at you and perhaps called you stoned, but that's a completely different thing, right? <laughs> Can that be part of the recovery? Does it take into account? <laughs> Look, like, I, I personally, and I mean seriously, I've never done marijuana or drugs, but I do know that there's a lot of studies out there to look at athletic performance and recovery. There's... Uh, with respect to hemp, CBD, and and even marijuana. Now, there's a, it's more to do with the brain and how the synaptic pathway happens. So I won't go into it too much, but there's a lot of studies out there. You've got to love the disclaimer, though, Tom, at the beginning, right? The fact that before he said anything, he has not taken it. I personally have no idea what I'm talking about. However, I have read... <laughs> it's, it's important. Listen, it's in, Ameri in America, you got to say that still. I mean, uh, you know, I think in England we gave, I think everyone kind of gave up saying that about five years ago. And America's playing catch up with that. Still, unless you're in Colorado or wherever it's, you know, legalized. <laughs> but on a serious note, people who work for me, I was talking last night, some, some people who work for me, the guy who works for me and his girlfriend, he's got terrible arthritis, wakes up in the morning, fingers like, so, you know, he's, he's just got bad joints. She doesn't sleep. And, I, and they were, they've been taking the CBD oil and they started taking it. Uh, regularly and now i don't think it's a psychosomatic scenario but he said and he was on seriously taking you know painkillers all day you know and, and and actually becoming problematic for the kidneys and it was you know it's really starting to poison you taking the pharmaceuticals so he's moved on to cbd stuff but he's now swears by it. and this is a guy who you know doesn't believe in ghosts and, and and you know would never i would never have thought would have said you know yes yeah, cbd or what it will you know sounds like a new age shit but this stuff, he, it, he's, it's really working for him. And I mean, that is, do you, in your cooking, is that something, do you get involved with kind of like the aromathera aromatherapeutic kind of oils and stuff? Or is, it, is that just a separate subject altogether? Oh, look, I think, I think there's definitely triggers when it comes to the release of certain oils from natural products and how they have an effect on the brain. Uh, there's definitely a, a relationship between that. I mean, look at how look where drugs, a lot of drugs are derived from. Like, so I, I don't know enough about it. I do know that uh, I personally just love the smell of certain cooking notes and it gets me, gets me going. So I'm, I'm sure there's a, a scientific aspect to that, but personally I, I don't dive into that. I, I enjoy the aroma for its flavor and the byproduct of that is... So you're doing kind of physical fitness as opposed to mental fitness because, you know, it's like magic mushrooms. They're now prescribing that to people to cure depression. Sure. It's now scientifically proven that a bit of 
you know, microdosing LSD in certain people with chronic manic depression actually brings them out of it. So, you know, there is there is all that science going on, but what you do is more physical than mental. Is that is that a yeah, oh, well, it actually is both. But how how I like to work with my team in general is like I look at I look at my team and they they bust at us every single day. So I know physically they work out like all day. It's it's a lot of work physically. The one that's important is like the mental aspect is when you're under that constant pressure physically and it continues to barrage you with dockets and dockets and decisions and different pots and pans. You still have to be focused. And so I think the training that I like to employ and, and do is, is challenge people under pressure. And I, I throw challenges in, but I also then talk about the importance of recovery to my team through what they're eating, but also how they just enjoy their downtime. So it's important to like, I think mentally you have that time away from what you're doing. And that's how I deal with the mental state. PTSD is, uh, you know, it should be talked about even more. It's obviously relationship with mental health these days is crucial. And we, we should be talking about it more to learn how we can prevent it. You look at sleep as a, as a relationship with, you know, veterans and how PTSD has developed as a result of poor sleep after certain, uh, you know, unfortunate situations. And down the line, it's continued to haunt them. So we know that from a mental state, I think things like meditation uh, and sleep and also just the things that honestly light you up away from physical exhaustion. Like, so for me, I love cooking even away from work. I also love working out. I love doing all these things that mentally trigger me. And I think that's so important. If, if I'm away from all those things that you're talking about there, Tom, there's still other areas you have to look after your mental health. It is absolutely crucial. And so whatever it is that makes you feel ultimately happy and lit up, that is something that you as an individual should work on. And diet, good diet, is, as, as has been proven, definitely affects your mood. I mean, when you go into the kind of mental health stuff, though, you know, right now, and you look at what's going on, certainly in America, and we don't do politics on Shaking the Stuff, but I, I actually can because I'm, I'm interested in psychology and I'm interested in how the mind works. And, you know, the fact that actually so many people, PTSD is something we've heard of. A lot of people have heard of. Some people are aware of what it does. You don't mm. really know what it is until you've either got it or, you're, you're, it, you're, or you have know someone who has got it. And then you kind of get stuck. But people don't really understand about psychology in America. I mean, the guy running the country at the moment is, is a social. He's a seriously, seriously mentally ill individual who actually any self-respecting psychiatrist or psychologist would say really seriously needs to get help. But I mean, again, just the aware people's awareness of that is it, it seems to be people are more aware of what you're talking about, the whole fitness thing. With this lockdown in England, it's been a big thing. We've had this Joe Wicks thing, to, you know, diet and exercise. And it's become it, that has really sort of bubbled up to the sort of forefront of people, you know, keeping people busy in their sitting rooms and what they're eating. And, you know, the mental health aspect has also kind of come through because people aren't suffering in this kind of lockdown all over the world. You know, the, men, you know, the mental health issues people are having by being locked in, that's kind of, you know, unavoidable. But the, the whole physical health thing has become, in the last eight months in England, and maybe, hopefully in America too, people have become really aware of exercise and people who literally normally just go to the office, don't do anything, eat a sandwich at lunch, this is the English thing, and then, you know, sit on their arse all day, get home and don't take any exercise. Suddenly, you're, you're actually bombarded by, hang on a minute, literally can't sit down and watch television for eight months, go and do something. Like, you know, then all these yeah, kind of YouTube things are happening. 
have you been involved in the kind of lock that, that I mean, look, American hasn't had the same lockdown, I don't think, that England has, but have, have you been... We've seen a rise. We've seen a rise in, in digital fitness and all the rest of it, haven't we, Dan? Absolutely. It is like, I'm glad you mentioned Joe, because what Joe Wicks and his team's done is, is phenomenal. It's exactly what the centre team and I have been a part of. It's... Tell everyone too, though, Dan, who, what about the centre team, because not everyone who's listening will know. So this is a great moment to mention who they are and what they are. Center is a phenomenal app. It's Chris Hemsworth envision of his lifestyle that he wanted everyone else to be a part of, not just the fitness side, but you know, everything from meditation to mental state, um, food, you name it. And he's got a number of different experts on there, myself included, to help be part of his team to express and educate people on this lifestyle. So it's a fitness app. And how it works is you also, the third part of that is you've got the HQ team of Sensor who never get enough credit, who are a phenomenal team to work with. But then we have our Sensor legends who are the community, those people who are a part of it. And they're a part of this Facebook community after they you know, become part of, uh, they sign up to the program. It's a lifestyle. And they're constantly encouraging every single body, not just the experts, but constantly encouraging every single individual. And that is what's been so exceptional this year we have seen a tremendous amount of people just be so vulnerable and open and honest about their life. And in ways that you would think prior to 2020 would never be the case, talking every individual, men, women, who you name it, they've become really open about themselves. 2020 has been a time where you've learned so much more about yourself. Why? Because now you have more time to think about you as an individual and your health. You're sleeping uh, with more awareness you you know you have more time to cook and put more time to you because ultimately prior to 2020 what happened we would go to work we'd bust an ass we'd work our ass off and what would fall by the wayside what would be the first thing that we would give up for our week to get our work done it would be our health and ourselves now we're finding oh my god i have to really look after myself otherwise these things will happen second part to that is we're now having all this realization on mental health People are being open and honest and realizing it. And it's scary for a lot of people, but it's also really important to, to know you have everyone around your social network to be a part of, of, of a support network for you. And that's another thing that I've loved about Center is that we have these people who now are working from home. We have these workouts where you would usually go get your social interaction, uh, either go to the cafe or whatever it is, or but now you're in lockdown and you're with people the same every day. And unfortunately, the other parts of that is Everyone wants to be achieving things in life and growing. 2020 has been a, uh, like a combination of survival for a lot of people, but a feeling of stagnation. So when you are stationary, when you are just simply don't feel like you're going anywhere in life, and you can be any age, you can be in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, you're like 2020 was going to be my year. And all of a sudden, you're not moving at all. What does that cause? Strain, stress, anxiety, mental situation. So being a part of these awesome communities where at least you are looking after your health. And when I say at least, most importantly, you're looking after your health. So Sensor has been amazing for that. People, even though they're professional, they've had just, you know, just to get by or, you know, just to be surviving. So they get back into 2021 or whatever it is to grow. They've got their health first. They're looking after family. And that's something they finally realized, hey, no matter what else goes on in the world, this is so important for my growth and my eventual life. Sorry passionate <laughs> no absolutely no as you should be i mean there's no no doubt about it and you only have to look at the statistics and you can see that they're saying now that there's been a 85 percent increase in the number of people who are working out online um, and of the sort of 
if you want, nine out of 10 people who, who are working out online in 2020 will not go back to working out in a gym even after the pandemic is over. People exactly. are so used to it. There's been a fundamental shift in, in, in people's psyche and, you know, and, and how important, because as you mentioned, health is wealth and health without health, nothing else. You don't have anything else, right? You lose mm -hmm. your health, you die, right? It's mm -hmm. sort of what 2020 has sort of shown you. It's like, you don't have anything. So that it's, it's forced people en masse, not just in America, but on a global level to all of a sudden say, I need to be paid, but not just pay attention. What does health mean? Health and wellness means fitness. It means what I nutrition. It's it's all aspects. It's a 360 of of my of what it means to be mental health. All these different things come together, right? So, it, yeah, it's it's been. I think it's very interesting that you should say that. And obviously, food, what you put into your body, how you fuel your body, is so is so important, right? Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I find people like you, Dan, so interesting because you know you're someone who. You know, you're a chef when, you know, when you think about chefs, you think of sort of, you know, I don't know, food and restaurants, and it's always kind of a bit over the top. And sometimes I go to eat, I eat in restaurants, I travel a lot. And I, the last thing I want to do when I can't get home is eat in a restaurant again. I want to have home cooked food because restaurant food is so over salted and over sweetened and over flavored and you can't eat it too much. And, you know, so, and it's, yeah, but you're the opposite. You're, that's not your mentality. That's not your modus operandi. In fact, tell us. I'd love to know more about Charlie Street. Tell us about your, yeah. your restaurant and the, uh, you know, what that's about. Yeah, there's, there's a huge connection between the gut and the brain and how that works. You have the gut-brain access. I won't go into that. If you want to learn more about that, you can you know, listen to my podcast. It's pretty scientific, I guess, at some point. But nice what, plug, by the way. Epic table, everybody, if you want Did to know. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Sure, but, that hey, was, that was, these that Aussies a... are very good at plugging themselves. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. I saw a hole. I put myself in a short ball right through that gap, Nigel. That's there how it works. Go. I love it. <laughs> it's interesting, though, because here at Charlie Street, you know, I started Charlie Street initially as a way of representing the food that I wanted for people who kept hearing about and listening about and talking to, whether it be in some sort of media, I could actually have them tangibly come in and eat, right? And it's taken us two and a half years for me to really get the grasp of that, but we're doing it, which is really exciting. But second to that, like, I think what's so important is I want people to taste my food, but I wanted people to learn about food in general and be educated by it. And so what's so crucial is Charlie Street is a mission-driven restaurant. We're all about being good for you and good for the planet. So you hear a number of restaurants are now doing this, and that's really exciting. But what we want to do is create an Australian-esque vibe, but still, uh, I don't want to say sourcing locally or anything like that. It's overused. What I'm talking about is simply, we want people to truly understand where that food is coming from. We want to be tangible about that. We want to be relatable about that. And we're now bringing out products that will not only helps shape an understanding of, uh, you know, a plant forward movement, we still we work with organic chicken and some of the best eggs and chicken you'll, you'll get. But these products that we're bringing out now are very much in line with focusing on how awesome plants are. And we're not talking about replacing meats. We're talking about just championing plants. So our vision with Charlie Street is to grow our restaurants to a point where they build out the community and, uh, you know, I guess, flagships for our story and our growth. And that's what's happening. And we're now in the next stage of that, which is launching these um, these products. So you hear more about that soon. But essentially, the restaurant, think of it as a as a as you know, a, a cafe Australian style with a bit of elevation, more towards education, which is really really exciting.
Spindrift brings family and friends together during the holiday season, spreading holiday cheer, shaken and stirred style. The best part is it's made with just sparkling water and real squeezed fruit. That's it. It's the perfect drink for the holidays because it's a healthy and delicious alternative to soda with no added sweeteners. Let's be honest, you'll get all the sweeteners you need from all the holiday goodies. Spindrift Cranberry Raspberry is the perfect mixer for your cranberry ginger bourbon smash or to add some flair to a classic martini. So shake up your beverage selection this holiday season by going to drinkspindrift.com and use promo code SHAKEN25 for 25% off. That's code S-H-A-K-E-N-2-5 at checkout for 25% off. Cheers. What's the big difference between Australian cuisine and US cuisine? I mean, you, you yeah. mentioned it a moment ago. You kind of dipped into it. What is there? A big difference or is it the same? I mean, I'm curious. No, I don't know. No, no, it's, it's very interesting. I think, you you know, in America, breakfast is not really a big thing. Like in Australia, you go out and get, uh, even in England and London, like you go get a coffee and you sometimes get breakfast with a mate before you go to anything. Like in Australia, I'd get up, I'd go for a surf, I'd come in, I'd go to a cafe, get breakfast and also get my laptop out and start working. Yeah, in, in America, like they go and get a coffee from a, very big chain that uh, is not necessarily the best thing for you. Uh, and then and then they'll go and go to, I guess, straight to work with not really much social, you know, action at the start of the day. Not to say it's right or wrong. You don't have to be eating breakfast in the morning either. It's just more a case of breakfast or that cafe vibe is a very social thing for Australians. And we grew up with that being a part of our day socially. And we're bringing that here with that more casual style of dining where, you know, it's not, fine dining, it's elevated cuisine, uh, breakfast style, but makes it super casual. I want people to come and feel like they're at home. They just come and chill. It's not like pretentious. It's nothing like that. Not to say that restaurants can't be that way. I feel like, you know, a beautiful dining experience can be that way. And I've worked in many restaurants that are, but the Australian cuisine is cafe culture. In my opinion, you have to pay respect to the indigenous Australians because that, if you ask me what is Australian cuisine, it is you know, what the Indigenous Australians ate. So I'm talking about our Aboriginal friends, like they are the ones who have a, a Australian cuisine. So widgety de grubs, you name it, in the ground, all that kind of stuff. The modern take is definitely uh, cafe culture. So, you know, poached eggs, avocado on toast is probably a That's classic. That's better than a widgety grub, man. I mean, seriously. <laughs> have you had some, Tom? Have you had a widgety de grub, Tom? I said it sounds. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Tastes like chicken. It's great. <laughs> Appetizing as a poached egg. Mm, yeah, I know. We got we got we got a beautiful dish up here. We've got launched a couple of new items today, which is really exciting. But for example, can ask, you're can I ask you guys, you you mentioned earlier Jamie Oliver. Mm. And it sounds to me like he had a kind of vision, right, for in his 15 his chain that he did. And it was a brilliant idea. It was a really brilliant idea. And actually him as personally looking at him, what he's trying to do and what he stands for is, is you know, exceptional, it's phenomenal. And, he, you know, and all credit to him. And in fact, Jamie Oliver has had this massive impact on, on, on food to the point where in school dinners in this country and, try, you know, he was trying to get the government to change the, the nutrition of what kids were eating. And at the same time, he had mothers, you know, saying, screw you, who the fuck are you to tell me what I'm going to feed my kids? And they were going at lunch and they were buying fish and chips and burgers from these shitty kebab places. 
and passing them through the school range to their kids, going, you don't have to eat that kind of like health, you know, that salad shit that they're trying to force down. People didn't like being told, you know, but his idea, his concept was brilliant. It was like, and, and actually overall, I think he's had a brilliant impact in this country, in England, certainly on our consciousness of what we're, and food and what we're eating with his cooking programs. And he's also, you know, he's an affable guy and he's done his cooking programs and he has had a big effect. Sounds to me like your business model is similar in the sense that your rollout has a message. Did you get a little inspiration from Jamie Oliver? No, I, I, Jamie is the reason why I started cooking. Like I used to sit down with my family and watch him cook. And my dad noticed how glued to the screen my brothers and I were from the creative outlet and the way he was able to describe food and how important that is as a life skill to understand all that. And I've so much, I've always looked up to Jamie. I think what he has done has, he has paved the way for so many people to mm. set amongst themselves the ability to have an impact in the food industry at every level. He's had a huge impact. Absolutely. For me, I saw a lot of what he was doing and I realized from him and then true within myself, when I sat down at a dinner table with my family, I realized that beyond the taste of the food, which is amazing, you are sitting down with your friends, your family, whoever it is to actually have a conversation and time stops. And that is what's so exceptional. On top of that, food is something that is so universally accepted, so needed by us all that I could have a conversation with someone who has no idea what my Australian accent is or my English, and they would smile once I put a bowl of some sort of food in front of them. That's connection. Now, if I can take that same simple act and not in any way try to dictate to people what to have, but provide them with an understanding of the options out there, that is my job. My job is to find a way that I can use food to translate the message that can look after us internally and externally. So as I said, like the products, the, the business model of Charlie Street, as an example, is to build these community activations through our restaurant for, uh, four walls, but then to grow through our products, which ultimately where the funds come from. But more importantly, it's, a, it's an opportunity to educate more people in a way that you, you've never been able to. And so on top of that, if I looked at what I really wanted to do, I would love to have an impact on the government in the way that they write up the food pyramid and what the food standards are for our schools. And I would love to reduce the medical bill that we have that could be prevented simply through what we're eating to prevent the onset of diabetes and all these things that cause trillions of dollars like nationally in America and not to mention what they do globally on our industries. Yeah, I can go on, but... It's interesting though, isn't it, Dan, that when you look at it and you think about this, I mean, this is a subject which hits on so many different levels because it's, it's not... So, you know, you say absolutely have a word with the government and you talk about you know, certainly reducing the amount of sugar that people are eating or you know, the sizing, the proportion sizes and all the rest of it. But, you know, but of course, perhaps this is a bit of a conspiracy theory, but one can also potentially argue that, you know, the drug companies out there, are they producing drugs that are out designed to cure us of illness or are they designed to, to make, keep us alive for as long as possible? And, and actually, if that's the case, then you know, you're going to have a lot of pushback from people who are like, well, if, if no one has diabetes anymore, then all those diabetes drugs, which, are, you know, which we are making billions and billions of dollars on, you know, we're not going to be able to sell them anymore. So yeah. actually, it doesn't actually benefit us to reduce the amount of people eating sugar. We just want to make sure that we have a drug that keeps them alive when they do so, you know, so that they will continue 
continue to buy our drug. And, and then those lobbies are, you know, they're paying for these guys to get into to, to, into the Congress and into Senate and everywhere else and across around the world. And again, this is, as I said, it's maybe a conspiracy theory, but I think there is quite a lot of research that's been done into not just that, but all aspects of how all these things are interlayered, right? And that's why people like Jamie Oliver, when he was he was in the U.S., by the way, Tom as well. He applied his idea of what to do with school lunches to the American society, and he came in and he had a hard time here too. You know, there's a lot of people thought he was brilliant, and a lot of people respected him. And I think, but look, it's not a question of failure and and and, and uh, you know and success. I think it is sowing the seeds, right? And I think that someone like Jamie Oliver has planted seeds in so many people's minds about what is possible and what you can do. And he started the conversation. I mean, for God's sakes, we're talking about him right now. We're talking about what he did, right? So that in itself is, is brilliant, right? Thing is, in England, he's ignited the debate of, look, hang on a minute, your children deserve to eat proper food. But the problem is, it's getting the parents to realize that the shit they're eating isn't, isn't good for them. Right. No, no one wants to hear that. No one. But, wants but, to but I would, what I would say, what I would say to Dan is, we've got something in England which I don't think exists in America, and I don't know if it, or Aust- I don't know if it exists in Australia. But and, and we've had this conversation. This this has come up before with the Food Standards Agency. The rise in salt in various food products, right, was becoming. You know, what's the recommended daily intake of salt is something like what a gram and a half, two grams, or something. I think on average, on a, on a very average day, people are having like 12, 15 grams. It's you know, hugely more than we were built, physically built for. In England, we've, I think I was listening to this radio program, the Food Standards Agency went to these companies that make the Heinz, the Heinz baked beans. And I, by the way, I, had, I went to Heinz baked beans and said, look, you know, we know you're putting more and more salt in your food. We know why you're doing it. It makes it tastier. The more salt you have, the more immune, you know, the more salt you need. It's like a sort of, you know, it's like if you, and suddenly, and, and what they said was, look, you need to regulate. You need to stop putting so much salt in the food because it's killing, it's really causing problems. So either stop putting the salt in the freaking food or we'll make you stop putting the salt in the food. Either you self-regulate or we come down on well, you. When you say make, Tom, what do you say, when you say make, it's one of those things, right? It's, it's pay the fine. And the fine is often worse, it's easier to pay the fine than actually to produce. No, no, no. It's no, it just becomes like legislation as in, you know, you're not allowed to, you know, you're not allowed to sell cut price alcohol because in, in Scotland, certain alcohols, because it's fueling alcoholism, whatever it is, actually make companies, actually save companies. We, you know, punitive, punitive, either you self-regulate or we will make you stop putting salt in. And what happened is these companies very slowly stopped putting so much salt in their products and they reduced, and this, it's, this is, a, what I'm saying is actually a success story. They slowly reduced the salt content of, of food, various foods and self-regulated, actually brought it down. When you say you want to get involved with, you know, the government to actually, you know, forcing stuff through that's good for people. Does the same thing apply in America? Do you have that kind of thing or is it, or are the companies too big? There's definitely regulations. There's definitely regulations that we must meet and there's certain standards. Uh, I know with each, I guess, uh, commodity, there's different boards and different seats and different levels of, you know, criteria, these, uh, these industry standards they must meet and that's where the commodity boards do their thing. When it comes to, I know going through this right now, learning about you know consumer packaged goods, when you're creating a product and it goes off to a co-packer 
you know, not everyone has to be organic. I know we are, and then what obviously we're going to be using, it has to go through certain certifications. But what you're talking about specifically is, is there some sort of regulation towards standards of salt and other things like sugar, et cetera? I actually don't know. I, I'm sure there would be. I hope there would be, but I don't actually know. Dan, what, what do we need to do to turn people's eating habits around? What is it that's sort of the, gen, the, the basic thing to, to educate people? It's not too far away. Like I, I think, and it's, I'm, I'm going to sound like a, you know, a broken record here, but it's take away refined sugar. Like number one, take away refined sugar. Like what Jamie did with the sugar tax is incredible. So take away refined sugar. Right. Minimize processed foods and eat more whole foods. So okay, eat- so when you go grocery shopping, what do you buy, for example? Tell me what you buy. Perfect. I buy vegetables, right? And I find really cool, simple ways to make them sexy. That's my job and that's what everyone comes to me for. So I buy the produce aisles and I buy the whole food aisles and I don't go to uh, the only packets I buy are nuts and seeds and coconut milk on the occasion when I go there. I also buy San Marzano tomatoes for my amazing spot, uh, bolognese. But when it comes to, you know, majority of my food intake and what I'm always an advocate for for everyone is simply work the aisles. And that's where I think this is really exciting because people go, well, I don't know how to cook that. How did you learn to crawl? How did you learn to read? How did you learn to tie your shoe? How did you learn to do business school? You learnt. And the only way to learn is to cook. And so that's where you have all these amazing recipes out there that tell you how to use a capsicum or a pepper, depending on where you are in the world. And so you can say, okay, now I comfortably know five different ways how to use this capsicum. And that's for me, my goal when it comes to cooking. I don't want people to follow my recipes. I want them to go to the supermarket and be like, Ooh, I see that this is on special. So not only is it affordable, I also know that I'm looking at Dan and Jamie and all these guys. I know a few different ways I can use that and make that the hero of the dish, slap some, you know, a nice, beautiful chicken thigh that I've grilled off and chucked in the oven and learn that cooking technique. I am now confident to use that in any way possible. And that's ultimately it. Cook with whole foods, refined sugar gets the flick and then just learn know what goes into your body. So what I mean by that is everybody, as you touched on earlier, Nigel, what goes into your body whilst someone else tells you it's good for you may be not as good for you due to the fact that your gut microbiome, Tom, hold on, I know you're ready for this. Tom's already, he's holding up his, uh, his, his snaps. But my point is your gut microbiome is so dynamic, so diverse, and there's all these beautiful warriors inside your gut that help break down what's going inside of you. But you're the only one in this world who has that pattern of gut microbiome. So that means that what they take in is digested differently to what is digested differently to Tom and what is digested differently to Nigel. So I may be able to break down chickpeas. Tom and Nigel may not. I may not be able to take in celery as well as they two. And that's the point. So just also listen to your gut. So the first point, take out your refined sugars. Second point, work on whole foods. Third point, listen to your gut literally. No, well, it's a good point. I mean, the listen to your gut part is, is definitely important. I mean, I, I, you know, joking aside, I mean, it's, I, you know, I have a, I, I'm in a family where I'm plant based. So my, my I, I haven't eaten meat in Dan, 50- Sorry, sorry, Dan, joking aside, I love this joke. It's like listening to his gut. Forget him listening to his gut. I was fucking boarding school with him for four years, listening to his fucking guts every morning. <laughs> and I tell you something, 
I hope he's changed his freaking diet since then because it wasn't pleasant. Anyway, sorry, Nigel. That's, nice you That's brilliant. Uh, uh, which is all true, and maybe why I changed my diet. But um, <laughs> you know, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that you know, I my my wife, for example has you know very delicate stomach my daughter is lactose intolerant you know mm -hmm. like I, there's just there's a lot of these sort of intolerances which i don't know how common they used to be but certainly these days they're very common people are allergic to all kinds of food and i think that when you talk about you know making food you know you're like learn right you're saying like you know like like how did you learn to walk or how did you learn to crawl how would you do you went to school you got educated but i do think there was something very specific about cooking which is the reason why it's been a hard kind of bridge to cross for a lot of people is because most of us, there are very few joys in life for a lot of people. And, <laughs> and a lot of, one of the few joys in life is eating, right? It's for so many people. It's, it's, it's that's like, you know, they don't have a lot. It doesn't, you don't have to be rich to eat good food or to enjoy your food rather to have. So there's something about the fact that a food is a, you know, at the end of the day, if you're a manual laborer or if you're a businessman, whatever you are, you sit down and your food, it's hot, it's, it feels good, it makes you feel good, you crawl up like a bear, you go to bed, wow. So any thought that you might mess that moment up, <laughs> that you might not actually, like that, that one thing you've lived on, <laughs> that you might ruin it, you know, I think to a lot of people, they, that, that's why they're scared, Dan. I think they are scared to like learn, because they don't want to learn on themselves. They don't want to be the one who practice, like who sort of goes through that, but they're like, oh no, 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 I'm not gonna risk that. <laughs> this thing here, loaded with sugar, loaded with carbs, loaded with you know, things I shouldn't have, MSG or whatever it might be, that's the safe bet. Because I don't wanna mess up my one moment today when I'm gonna be happy when I'm going to eat. No, it's, it's not that complicated. It's just- no, it is, I think it might people, be. People are fucking lazy, man. I, I know, I can speak from first-hand experience. It's late, you know. It's laziness. Well, I know mean, it, you. It's lazy. It's, but I'm not. I'm talking about the rest of the population. You're well, just. Well, people haven't got time to kind of, you know, literally. I, I think it's laziness, and I think I think people like Jamie Oliver, and obviously Dan as well. I think actually there's a momentum now with people talking about it. Jamie Oliver was definitely massively influential in this country in changing people's approach and consciousness to food, and people are now tuned into it. And what you're saying, just. Personally, for me, coming out of this podcast tonight, whole foods, not refined stuff, right? That's just like going to be consciously on my mind now. And also, the thing you said down at the beginning of the podcast, which really kind of struck a chord with me, is if you're eating and you're happy or eating and you're sad, your body's going to affect things and digest things in different ways. And actually, be conscious of how you're feeling when you're eating. It's a bit like the age-old thing of don't drink and don't take drugs if you're not happy. You're an ambassador for what I'm talking about, Tom. It's honestly yeah. it. No, it's brilliant. And it's brilliant. It's something that I will take with me now. You know, I will consciously apply it because it's something I kind of, un you know, I can apply and, and understand. Tom, and Tom you may not be, be able to be an ambassador for Under Armour, but you are an ambassador <laughs> for drugs and alcohol, which we love. Now, before we let you go, Dan, <laughs> um, and thank you for being such a good sport, answering our questions and jumping in and all our banter, and all of the rest course. of the craziness that we do on Shaken and Stirred. We have a, a thing called Last Orders, which we like to wrap it all up on, which is just a bit of fun. This is a little bit of get to know Dan moment. We may have even asked you some of these questions during, during the interview, because that often happens. But we'd love to know a couple of things. So are you ready, my friend? I'm absolutely prepared. Here we go. All right, very, very easy one to start you with. What is your favorite snack? Roasted cashews. Roasted cashews? Yeah, I'm so boring and lame, but they're fucking sensational. 
with salt or without? Uh, so I season them myself. So I sea salt myself. Little bit, wow. little bit. Wow. Yeah. See, I, see, I don't like them with any seasoning. What? That's the case. Season them yourself. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, what you do if you want to if you want to make your own cashews or roasted cashews and that and any nut for that matter. Uh, you know, moderate oven. Chuck them in uh, a bowl with whatever spices you want, or just some salt, and chuck them in the oven for about you know ten to fifteen minutes. That's it. What do you recommend? What is the Dan Churchill nut spicing recipe? Ooh, I've got a really good pepper lemon uh, recipe for cashews. So lemon Ooh. juice, like so, say I don't know, squeeze two lemons into a bowl with three cups of uh, raw cashews, pinch of salt and pepper, put that straight into a roasting tray, 10 to 15 minutes later, see you later, you've, you've got some roast cashews with lemon and pepper. Love it. Absolutely delicious. My God, okay. Best song to work out to? Ooh, geez, this is a good one. Oh, I've got so many going on right now. Oh, Pajano, definitely. It's a good tune though. Eric Preed's uh, Pajano. Fantastic. All right. In the movie of your life, who would you have play you? I reckon Ryan Reynolds. I would love him to play me. I would mean, just be so funny. What floats your boat and gets your goat? Uh, cooking, absolutely. Uh, you know, obviously training. I uh, love working out. Cooking for my lady, absolutely. And Italy. <laughs> oh, and surfing, of course. Nice. And what gets your goat? Oh, honestly, this sounds so, this sounds uh, pretty annoying, but like when I see anyone chuck a cigarette butt on the ground, I know that's like, it just annoys me, really annoys me. There's a reason why, like you chose, I'm sorry if anyone is listening right now, you chose to smoke, cool, chuck it in the bin, don't leave it on the ground where the but rain the will put that in. fine, mate, come on. Yeah, exactly, ashtray's fine. Yeah, there you go, the snapper um, is not called a snapper for nothing. And finally, shaken or stirred. Shaken. There you go. Everybody, Dan Churchill, check him out on his podcast, The Epic Table, right? That's what it's called. It. I can't wait to be a guest on it myself. Oh my God, did yeah. I just you know, invite myself onto Dan's podcast? That's a long pass. That's great. Dan, don't. He's a total whore. Don't, <laughs> listen, forget it. When we're in New York, when, if this, when this shit finishes and we're allowed back to sort of do, you know. We'll come to Charlie Street, won't we, Tom? We'd love to come and see you up there. Are we, could we, can we come together? I would love to have you both. We'll get you down here in the studio kitchen and we'll get you on the show. It'd be awesome. I'd love that. Yeah, and we'll pay. I wasn't, by the way, asking for a friend. We're happy to pay for dinner or whatever, but, you know, <laughs> we'd just love to come and, come <laughs> and say hi. Or whatever. Just throw that out there. There's the Englishman in him. Wait a second. Are you going to a free dinner? All right. Thank you. I'm, I'm over. <laughs> I'll come over on the next flight. Um, <laughs> Dan Churchill, everybody. Check him out. DanChurchill.com. Check him out on his Instagram. Listen to his, his, uh, his podcast, The Epic Table. He's a great man. Follow him on Center on his app. My goodness, Skies does it all. Thank you so much, Dan, for coming on and educating us uh, and, and giving us a good laugh. We uh, love a good Aussie and we love someone who knows what they're talking about. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, boys. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken and Stirred. We will be back next week with a, another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya. See ya.